I invite everybody to please stand and open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 9. If you don't have a Bible, there might be one in the pew there in front of you. If not, it will be on the screen. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. It might also be on your cell phone. Matthew 9, starting in verse 35. Jesus continued going around to all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every sickness. When he saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dejected like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you so much for this awesome, glorious day. Holy Spirit, we invite you now to be our teacher, to be our comforter, to bring conviction of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would give me your words, that I would say only what you want, nothing else, and that you would move powerfully to bring great glory to Jesus today. Father, we thank you that we celebrate the Lord's table, your table today, Jesus, as we remember your broken body and your shed blood on the cross as payment for our forgiveness, for our adoption. And we ask, Jesus, that you would move powerfully in our lives now. And it's your precious name we pray, Jesus. Amen and amen. You may be seated. Well, it is a joy seeing all of you here today. And as I said at the beginning at the welcome, our prayer is that Jesus would be greatly glorified in you today and that you would experience our Father's love he loves us beyond anything that we can imagine or think or even comprehend. His goodness is unbelievable. And so our prayer is that you would experience that love today and that Jesus would be glorified in your lives. Over the past couple weeks, we started a new series, a discipleship series. And I want to do a little bit of review just on it. What is a disciple of Jesus? And Ben and Chris, if you could put that up. What makes a disciple? Last week, we were looking when Jesus called the first disciples. And they were four fishermen. He saw them and they were preparing their nets. They had just got done fishing. And he said, come, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of people. And we learned there's three basic things. What is a disciple? A disciple is, believes in, and follows Jesus. That is a disciple. A disciple is being changed by Jesus. And a disciple lives on mission with Jesus. That is a disciple. And if you, live, if you love Jesus... This is who you are. And over the next several weeks, we're going to continue to talk about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And there's a phrase, disciples making disciples. And as Ed said earlier, the Great Commission, Jesus has called all of us to go to all nations making disciples of Jesus. And I have a confession to make. Last week, I made a really bad joke about sheep. Sheep and people. And sheep are... Dumb, very good. A couple people were listening. And today we're going to look at a passage where Jesus saw the multitudes. And he says, it says in Matthew, that he saw them like sheep without a shepherd. Why does Jesus call us sheep? Someone in the back said, because we're what? Dumb. And I made a joke last week and no one really got it. 
I called you a bunch of sheep, but what I was basically calling you is that you all are, and I am dumb. So I did some research this week about sheep. Why all the sheep jokes from the pulpit? Well, here's the first reason why. Jesus himself calls a sheep. There is no coincidence that Jesus calls a sheep. For most of us, we think that sheep are dumb. Well, y'all need to say it with more gusto than that. Sheep are dumb. We're defenseless, and sheep are harmless creatures that mope about on a hillside doing not very much. They're good for two things, being eaten and producing wool. But with careful scientific study, this is what scientists have discovered from sheep. Sheep are surprisingly intelligent with impressive memory and recognition skills. This is serious, okay? I'm not laughing. I'm not joking. This is. They build friendships, stick up for one another in fights, and they actually feel sadness when their friends are sent to slaughter. They are also one of the most destructive creatures on the planet. Sheep have been farmed for millennia. They are intelligent, complex, and sociable. That description sounds a whole like us as humans, does it not? And at the same time, though they have some natural defenses, they are susceptible to attack, prey, and disease, needing incredible amounts of care, guidance, and protection. And there's actually a video that was on YouTube. It went viral a couple weeks ago from what I heard. And we're going to watch this video. It's a little grainy, so I want you to just pay careful attention to this video about how smart sheep are. That really happened. That sheep got stuck in that tire. <laughs> Evidence right there that sheep are dumb. Matthew chapter 9. If you've closed your Bibles, let's look at it. This is a very small passage. And there are three things in this passage that I want to highlight. Matthew chapter 9. We're going to look at it, we're going to read, and we're going to see why Jesus calls a sheep and what he does about it. It says here in verse 35 that Jesus continued going around to all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every sickness. Like I said, there's three things I want to highlight in this little passage here. The first one is Jesus' ministry. The second one is Jesus' compassion. And the third one is Jesus' command. In the context of this story here, Jesus has already called his 12 apostles. They are following him. Well, Jesus has been preaching and teaching and healing, and thousands of people are following Jesus now. Many are following him because they're amazed at his power and his authority over demons, over sickness, over disease, the miracles he's done. They've also amazed at the power he teaches and the authority he teaches with. And many of them say, and as you read the Gospels, many will say, we've never heard teaching like this. Have you ever sat in a sermon and you've heard a preacher preach and you've just stayed, you've, you've, you've been amazed at the authority they have, the insight they have? That's the way Jesus preached. 
Many people follow him because they were touched by his love and they are transformed by his words. Others followed out of curiosity. Others followed because they themselves wanted to be touched by his love and by his power to be healed. Some followed just out of curiosity and others followed out of criticizing and wanting to try to dis make disclaimers on who he was. They hated Jesus. Regardless of the motive of this story, thousands were following Jesus. And when it says that he preached and he teached and he healed, how many diseases did he heal? Every disease and every sickness. Now that does not mean that Jesus healed every person who was sick in Israel. But what it does mean is every person who was sick who came to Jesus was healed. I myself have asked the question when I've, since I've come back to the States, why don't I see the miracles that we even saw in Mexico? And I'm convinced in my own life, I'm not desperate enough to see it happen. We do not have because we do not ask. And these people were desperate. They were so desperate that they would do anything to find Jesus. And we see story after story after story of people longing to be touched by Jesus. We see a story of four friends who even pulled a roof off so they could get their friend down to the feet of Jesus so that he could be touched. Are we that desperate enough to live in the presence of Jesus? Jesus went around preaching and teaching and healing every disease, casting out demons, setting the captives free. And we need to understand that the moment Adam and Eve sinned thousands of years before this story here, Satan held the entire human race in captivity. And it says in Hebrews chapter 4 that Jesus shares our flesh and our blood in order to destroy the one who kept us prisoners. Jesus, it was the greatest rescue operation in the history of the world. Jesus was born as a human, lived just like we do, as a human, but without sin. And when he began to preach, he preached, repent because the kingdom of heaven is near. The kingdom of heaven is where God rules and reigns and it's where his will is done. It's where lives are transformed and people are touched by his love and by his power. Jesus proved that he was bringing the kingdom by healing, by preaching forgiveness and reconciliation, first with our heavenly father, second with one another. He preached hope and love and new life. That is what Jesus was all about. He preached it, he taught it, he lived it, he demonstrated it. It says here in verse 36, when he saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them. What did he feel? Compassion. I will be very honest with you. As a pastor, I don't feel compassion for many people. I struggle feeling compassion for others. I struggle when people give me a call, hey, I need to talk to you. One of my first reactions, and I'm just confessing to you a sin, one of my first reactions is, oh, what do they want? Oh gosh, what is it going to require me? I do. When I see drug addicts 
and homeless people on the corners or walking the street, my first reaction is disgust. Ugh. There's a word in Spanish, asco, A-S-C-O, asco. And it's just this gut-wrenching, And I'm confessing to you my sins. I'm very arrogant, I'm very prideful, and I struggle having compassion for other people. Jesus is being followed by thousands of people. Thousands of people are clamoring and longing to have Jesus' attention. Christy and I were talking the other day, and I think I share with you, I think, one of my frustrating things, Sammy, could you come here real quick? These are my kids. These are my two boys. I have a daughter over, over there. If I'm talking with Sammy and Eric, could you get up, please? If I'm talking with Sammy, if Eric comes up to me, and we've trained our kids since they are little, if they, if they need to interrupt, they need to come up, and they need to put their hand like on our arm if they're really little, just on our leg. And so if I'm talking with Sammy, Eric will come up and he'll just, and I'll be talking and talking and talking and talking. But you know what I'm thinking inside? Get your hand down. Get your hand down. I know you're here. Get your hand down. I know you're here. Thank you. Thank you, guys. It annoys the fire out of me. I had a friend in elementary school, and he used to come up to me. He used to tap me on the shoulder if I was talking with somebody. Hey, Doug. Hey, Doug. Hey, Doug. Hey, Doug. Hey, Doug. Has that ever happened to you guys? How does it make you feel when someone really wants your attention and you can't attend to them? Imagine what it was like for Jesus. He was the most sought-after person on the planet. People wanting his attention, wanting his time, wanting his love, wanting his miraculous touch, wanting to hear him. They were wanting something from him. That phrase that I've used here sometimes, two ticks, no dog. Those two, dog, dogs are gonna, those two ticks are going to die because a tick needs blood in order to live. Most of us as humans, we're like ticks. We want to suck the life out of other people. And when we don't get it from somebody, we'll go to someone else. We're constantly wanting to try to fill that, what we think is a void inside of us that only God can fill. And when the word of life, and when the light of life, when the eternal word was present as a human, people recognized that power. They recognized that love that Jesus had in his heart, the way he lived, and they couldn't wait to get to it. It was like a marathon runner who had finished his race needing water, longing to be touched with the Savior's love. Jesus was constantly being hounded by others. If that was me, I'd have called a timeout. I'm out of here. But what did Jesus, what was his response? It says here, and this is the second point, Jesus' compassion. When he saw the crowds, he felt compassion. That's a deep move in his gut of love and empathy, and compassion, and goodness, and grace, and patience. He felt that for the people, and look what it says, because they were distressed and dejected like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus could see the people for who they really were. They were like sheep 
without a shepherd. They were dejected. They were distressed. And instead of being selfish and self-centered, Jesus had loving eyes of compassion for those sheep. Regardless of their motive for seeking after Jesus, he felt compassion. And there was absolutely nothing they did to bless Jesus. They were wanting to take from him. And he saw them with eyes of love and compassion. And being omniscient, Jesus knew that almost every one of them would reject him and eventually cry out, crucify him. And he still loved them and blessed them and preached to them and healed them and lived with them and spent time with them. Why? Because he felt compassion. If we jump over to Hebrews chapter 4, Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews is at the end of the Bible. Hebrews chapter 4.15. It says this, it says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. I've been a pastor for almost 25 years, and so many people think I'm so much closer to God because I'm a pastor. That's the biggest lie on the planet. We are just like everyone else. And in the time of Christ, with the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, and the High Priest, and the life and body of Israel, the people of Israel, the high priest, ooh, he was the only one once a year that could go into the Holy of Holies. He was the intercessor for the people of God. That was the high priest of Israel. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who's been tempted in every way. Jesus, our high priest, lived as a human. He was tempted in every way, just like me, just like you, in every way. He was tried and tempted every way. He knew rejection. He knew loss. He knew suffering. He knew hunger. He knew what it was like to be misunderstood, to be beaten, to be spit upon, to be tormented, to be mocked. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, Paul was talking about Christ. And he says that he made the one, God the Father made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us. While Jesus was on the cross, he not only took our sin and paid the price, but he became sin. And I would say that means even Jesus knows what it's even like to be dirty, to feel dirty because of sin. Jesus knows what it's like to be forsaken by his Father. Jesus can truly sympathize 
and empathize and have compassion with every single one of us. And when we go back here to Matthew chapter 9, when Jesus saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them because he saw them for what they truly were, sheep without a shepherd, distressed and dejected. He had great compassion and great love for them. And he knowingly knew that they would almost all reject him still was willing to go to the cross and shed his blood, his precious blood, not only for them, but for you and me. That is amazing love. That is eternal, perfect love. The third thing. Verse 37, it's then said, he then said to his disciples, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest field. It's the commission. Ed talks about the great commission. What is the harvest? It's the harvest of souls. Every person on this planet is born a sinner, born a prisoner of sin, a prisoner of Satan. We will all be judged. Every person will be judged. We'll stand before the judgment seat. And our judge, who is Christ himself, is perfect and he's righteous and he's holy and he's compassionate and good. But he will not close his eyes to justice. And if we are sinners without forgiveness, our destiny is hell. And it is very clear. How can people believe in Jesus if, Jesus, if they've never heard of Jesus? And how can they hear of Jesus, Jesus if no one tells them about Jesus? And how can someone tell them about Jesus if they haven't been sent? And every single one of us who's a believer of Jesus Christ, we've all been called to go. For some of us, it's to go to another country. And so if God has been speaking to you about being a missionary, being a sent one to another country, please talk with Ed Smith if you don't know what to do. I see Chris White in here. You can talk with Chris White. He's the director of TrekX, which is a mission organization that we're partners with. But in the meantime, wherever we live, work, and play, right here in Nashville, we've been called to go to tell the good news of Jesus Christ wherever we live, work, or play with our neighbors, with our roommates, with classmates, with our teachers, with our bosses, with our employees with those we don't even know. And the question is, can people see Jesus in your words and your actions each and every day? The harvest is plentiful. There are people all around, all around us daily who do not know Jesus. And we are the responsible ones. We're the ones who've been called to shine and show the light and love of Jesus to them. I hope I'm putting a lot of guilt on you because I'm trying to make you feel really guilty. I'm halfway teasing on that comment. But my prayer is, is that we truly would be burdened and that Jesus would open our eyes so that we would see other people like Jesus did as sheep without a shepherd, dejected, distressed. That we would take the eyes, our eyes off of ourselves and our problems and that our eyes would be put on him. 
And that we would pray to our Heavenly Father, Father, give me Jesus' eyes to see people the way you do. Give me Jesus' heart to love them with his compassion and his love. And help me to walk the way Jesus walked, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom with everyone that's around us. It might not mean that you're going to lead someone to Christ in a five, ten-minute conversation. It might take a 30-year friendship. It might mean you might have a conversation, a gospel conversation with someone for just five minutes, just a little bit about what Jesus means to you, and that's it. You'll never see the person again. But 80 years from now, when you're in heaven, you're going to bump into somebody. He's like, hey, you remember me? Uh, no. You talk with me at the Kroger in southeast Nashville for two minutes, and you prayed for my elbow. And that started a journey for 20 years. And person after person after person after person kept telling me about who Jesus is. I'm making up a story. But we've been called to share Christ with others. Jesus says, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. Next week, we're going to look at chapter 10. Real quick sneak peek. Right after chapter 9, Jesus commissions the 12 to go on their first mission journey. Guess who the workers are? We are. To close, real quickly, what does this passage mean to us? Well, there's an acronym, I think that's the right word. PASS, the word PASS, P-A-S-S, pass it along. Real quickly, pray. Pray that God raise up workers for the harvest field. Number two, advocate. And what I mean by that is live a life on mission with Jesus, advocating Jesus Christ to everyone around you. Three, serve. Serve anyone and everyone in your life. Clothe yourself with humility and serve others. Number four, share. Share the good news of Jesus with all those around you. Trust in the Holy Spirit. He will give you the power to step out and walk in boldness. Pass it along. Let's pray. Actually, before we pray, real quickly, there's a famous comedian, musician, media personality named Penn Gillette. Penn Gillette. He's a very outspoken atheist. And after one of his shows, he's also a musician, a man came up and gave him a signed New Testament, like a Gideon's New Testament. And there's a short three-minute video on YouTube by Penn Gillette. He talks about getting this Bible from this man. And he shares just how sincere this man was, looked him in the eye, was a good man, gave him this Bible. And Penn Gillette says, I don't believe in the Bible. I don't even believe in God. But he was so touched by this man's sincerity and love and compassion that Penn Gillette put a little short video on, on YouTube, just two, three minutes. But this is what Penn Gillette says. He said this, I don't respect people who do not proselytize. That's sharing your faith. I don't respect that at all. If you believe there is a heaven and a hell, 
and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward? How much do you have to hate someone to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate someone to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them about it? He then goes on and says in this video, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, that that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point in time that I would tackle you. And this is more important than that. These are words from an atheist. How much do we have to hate someone to not share the good news of the gospel just because it makes us embarrassed or it could be socially awkward? We've been called to go to make disciples, to share the good news of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this incredible day. Jesus, we thank you for your incredible grace and how you see us as sheep with no shepherd, and you are our great shepherd. And Jesus, we ask now, as we remember your death, your shed blood on the cross for our forgiveness, may we never take it for granted. As we remember your broken body on the cross. Lord Jesus, may we offer ourselves to you and worship as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to you, O Father, because you are worthy of everything that we have and that we are. And it's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.